Hello, and again, welcome to BitDepth. I'm Santiago Armones. Across from me is... My name is Derek Brown. Happy to have you. Uh, I've, I've been meaning to have you on for a while, and then I am sometimes bad at communicating. So I'm glad we got this to happen. And I'm bad too, so... <laughs> um, so what do you do? Professionally? Uh, you can answer that however you want. <laughs> uh, professionally, for money, I am in the band The Flaming Lips. I'm the band's tour manager as well. I work in the building we're sitting in, ACM at UCO. Mm-hmm. My title here is I'm the Business Development Center Manager. What does that mean? <laughs> uh I help the quickest, easiest way I explain it to people is I, my job is to connect students from being students here at the school to being people in the world as, you know, music professionals. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I'm a husband, father of three and um long walks on the beach (laughs) i love i'm a leo yeah yeah um what do you play in the flaming lips and what do you play in general um piano keyboards uh live i play a lot of acoustic guitar electric guitar and keyboards with the flaming lips um which of these things do you consider to be your primary instrument piano that's the one I started on and the one I probably had the most hours logging in, you know? Sure. And it's the one I feel the most at home. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when did you start making music? Well, I was, I did something weird as a little kid that <laughs> um, uh, I would love someone, I'd love a, like a therapist to analyze (laughs) but i would come up with fake bands okay and um i maybe had like two or three and i would name them i'd come up with a fake discography fake song titles fake song lengths (laughs) so when you say making music i probably did that first (laughs) i don't know why yeah um i started playing piano at age seven um, probably started writing my first songs. Let's see. I started playing guitar when I was 10, probably soon after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Guitar is kind of the, the, the songwriter tool really. <laughs> I, I prefer the piano, honestly, mm-hmm. but, but in the context of the nineties when, you know, bands like Nirvana were huge and yeah. Yeah, playing power chords on a guitar. <laughs> you could come up with three power chords and say, oh, I wrote a song. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, whenever you started at that age, uh, were you playing like stuff you wanted to or was it kind of just like piano lessons proper? As- no, it took me a long time with piano to figure out how to make fun of it, you know, sure. uh, how to make it into something like that was fulfilling. Yeah. Um, Guitar immediately, I just dove right in, mm-hmm. like with because there were uh, my dad played guitar. There were tab books around the house, so yeah. I figured out how to read tab, and you're like, oh, I can play 
you know, <laughs> all the, all the songs that, um, so that was easy. Piano was harder. Um, uh, it took, it took a long time. It took probably really to really get to, to discover how much I really love piano. It probably took eight or nine years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what was, I guess, what did you start writing about? What did you want to start writing about? I've never, I, I've never considered myself like a lyricist, a sure. good lyricist. Sure. I, I, for me, it's it's really about moods and chords and melodies. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've written plenty of lyrics and things and, you know, as a teenager, uh, your mind is so fried from being a teenager and just <laughs> yeah. all the hormones and weird th- feelings going on. You just write about these super melodramatic things. Um, so that's what came out then, you know, in my 20s. I'm 37 now. I tried to get a little more intellectual and and sometimes it worked. But I really at this, the good thing about being me now is I know my strengths and weaknesses sure. and you kind of embrace those things at this point. And, uh, so I'm never, I'm fine. Not really being a strong lyricist. Sure, it's sure. not like I feel like I have these things to get out as far as that goes. Mm-hmm. I love studying chord progressions and trying new things and, um, tonal harmony and all that sure, fun yeah, stuff. Yeah. But, and I, I'm a huge uh, appreciator of amazing lyricist. Yeah. Am I one? No. <laughs> um, who were you listening to whenever you first started making music? And then who are some of your biggest influences now? Um, well, when I was a, uh, just a little kid, I probably... I think you know it's probably this the case for everybody you're you're just listening to what your parents are listening to. Yeah. So like some of the first concerts I ever went to in 1989-90 were White Snake, Aerosmith, <laughs> you know, things like that. And so there was a certain like uh there's like a virtuosity to a lot of that music. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, like Steve Vai was a guy that my parents both were yeah. into, right? <laughs> so uh, playing guitar, I was playing things by people like Eric Johnson, Steve Vai, uh, Jason Becker, these super technical things. Yeah, yeah. Um, then uh, about 13 or 14 years old, I started uh, discovering things like The Cure, you know, and mm-hmm. going, oh, this is this is resonating with me now. Um. So through my teenage years, it was stuff like Smashing Pumpkins, The Cure, um, Mm. The Smiths. Um, These days, it's just wonderful. I was talking to a friend about this. It's just wonderful to have access to almost everything. Yeah. Because we were talking, I was trying to explain to him in the 90s how I imagined for maybe a solid year what Joy Division's closer record sounded like. Because mm-hmm. I couldn't find it in a store. You can't <laughs> you couldn't stream it on the internet. Mm-hmm. 
I had I saw the cover. I knew the story behind the record, but I didn't know what mm. it sounded like. <laughs> you could read reviews about it. Sure. So, you know, that doesn't happen anymore. So my point being, I listen to, I try so much, you know, if if someone mentions a name in passing, mm-hmm. go listen to it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, Do you think that because there's so much access to everything that there's less of a chance to kind of be like a big fan? No, I'm still a huge fan of, um, of certain artists. Um, I would say my longest running artist for the century is the mountain goats. Hmm. I first heard them in 2002 and they've been, their music has been, you know, a constant companion ever since. Um, I just started getting into Ween of all things. Hmm. I've known of Ween forever. Sure. But I just recently got it. Yeah. And so there's so much Ween music. <laughs> you know, it's just like I, I go through The Grateful Dead earlier this year. I mm-hmm. just immersed myself in The Grateful Dead. That is one that I've been meaning to get to. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, no, I think because I, I get obsessed with things and I become huge fans of things. It's yeah. just easier than yeah, it's yeah. ever, it's, you know, I can stream probably thousands of full live sets from the dead online. Yeah. That's amazing, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so how did you get to sort of the uh, kind of more management, booking, touring sort of thing? Um, I guess maybe in high school. Actually, I remember exactly. Um, OCU, Oklahoma City University, had a degree at the time that I believe was called an entertainment business degree. And once I saw the courses in the catalog, mm-hmm. they were things about like artist management, publishing, booking agent. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Um, I never stopped through that period. I never stopped being in a band, playing music, writing songs, stuff like that. But uh, I was, I had to be involved in the business somehow. Yeah. And this was, that was the logical next step out of high school to still continue on that path. Mm-hmm. Um, I still took piano lessons in college and things like that. But, uh, and I was super interested in it. Um, the more I learned about it. So um, there's some aspects of it that I just do not like at all. Um, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't like anything that takes that. I don't know. That looks at it. Uh, that approaches music in a too sterile uh, business like kind of way. I sure. still above all the, the actual art and the actual music to me is like the supreme being. Mm-hmm. But um uh, I became the, the Lips tour manager about two years ago when our longtime tour manager uh, retired. And um, I um, I think in a way, doing that, touring is really hard for me uh, for a lot of reasons. And I think becoming the tour manager uh, was kind of just the way for me to still do it and stay sane. Sure. Because it kind of, take something that's really chaotic and gives you more control over it. Mm-hmm. 
But I've done ever since, I mean, I graduated high school in 1999. I started that degree in the fall of 99. So we're coming up on 20 years of mm-hmm. um, being involved in the business in some way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I'm, I'm, I don't consider myself like so artistic that I can't do spreadsheets and sure. <laughs> you know book hotels and things like that. Right. There's, there's a very practical, yeah. more of my brain is, is wired like that, I think, than mm-hmm. just being a music guy. Yeah. Um, how does someone make money doing music nowadays? Well, in Oklahoma, there are churches and, uh, <laughs> there are a lot of them. And the, the month I turned 16, I got a job playing piano at a Catholic church mm. And I had that job for about 13 years. Whoa. Yeah. (laughs) And that enabled me to uh, have enough money to do the things that I needed to pay for and to have fun and not take up so much of my time. uh, So away from doing the actual music. So ever since then, I've tried most of, I would say, 95 if not more, because I had a couple like waiter jobs, but they didn't last very long. Mm-hmm. For the most part, everything I've done since then, as far as making money, has been in music somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to be willing to try anything, I think. Um, and you just have to be open to... Uh, you can't get this pie-in-the-sky scenario in your head like it's it's got to be like this i mean i went out on the road when i was 1920 selling merch for bands mm. for free yeah you know just and my mom at the time was like why are they not paying you i'm like look i get to go to new york boston i get in a van i get to go see the country mm-hmm. be around people i like and I don't need to get paid. Like, yeah, yeah. This is this is a. Um, you just have to put yourself out there and try things, and and not be afraid and not have an ego that says, "Oh, I'm I'm above that." Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of the death of of uh, you know. You eventually you're going to find something that really resonates with you, mm-hmm. but uh, and it might be things that you never thought would. Yeah, you know. So I would say, how do you make money doing music? Um, Do what you love. Try things you don't think you are going to like. Put yourself out there, Mm -hmm. you know. And then um, I'm glad this is a separate question. Yeah. Uh, What factors contribute to success as an artist? Because success and making money are very separate things. <laughs> I think it's just up to that person. I mean, my definition of success is different than, you know, even some of my bandmates in the mm-hmm. lips. So for me, um, uh, I've never been comfortable being in, in positions where I feel like I'm 
uh, where I feel like my my personal beliefs or my ethics or whatever are being challenged. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't. Uh, there are a lot of really uh, dishonest, uh, predatory people in yeah. the business, and um, I would see their behaviors and and see the way they operate, and just get that sinking feeling. Yeah. So success for me has been able being able to do this and stay within my realm of values, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, what's a musical hurdle that you've gotten over in the past and what's something that you're still working on? A musical hurdle? Like a scale or a something that... Well, the one with. thing that I hope to do at some point is learn how to play the pedal steel guitar (laughs) like very well. Mm -hmm. That's a long-term goal that I haven't worked on, but (laughs) it's in the back of my head. Like I'm going to do that someday. Yeah. Um, I I think in my early twenties, and I see this with a lot of students here at the school, Hmm. they get, really focused on the side of the business that doesn't involve being good at your instrument sure. or your craft <laughs> as is in like social media and the branding and all that stuff. Yeah. And all that's really important, but I fell into that too. And I think just kind of recently I've renewed this sense in my head that, you have to be really good at what your craft is, yeah. you know, and hopefully the other things fall into place. Uh, just don't put too much, you can't put too much focus on, you know, it's like, have you seen the Firefest documentary? Yeah. Both of them. Actually. Yeah. So watching that kind of reinforced it in my head because what was that guy good at? He was good at like branding and marketing. Yeah. He couldn't pull off the actual nuts and bolts <laughs> of doing the festival, right? Sure. So what if you're a band and your pictures look cool mm-hmm. and everyone loves you because you're really popular and, you know. Mm-hmm. But or you look like you're You really look popular. like you're, yeah. <laughs> um, but you kind of suck once you get up there and you can't play the part and your band falls apart. And it's mm-hmm. like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So um, just this kind of renewed. Uh, feeling that I have to be really good at what I do yeah, or the best I can push it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I definitely lost sight of that at one point. Hmm. Um, what's, well, I guess what's something that you consistently see as the, uh, business development manager um, that you think uh, what's something that you would say to help people 
in that role that you're taking as the manager of that, that like, Hey, you're coming to me and you want a job in the industry. This is what I always say to people. (laughs) I kind of said it earlier. Um, I said, put yourself out there, be diverse and be open to trying all sorts of things. Um, I don't, I can talk one-on-one with people for a long time and tell them my experiences. Um, I never feel comfortable saying this is the right answer. Sure. Um, uh, I, I, and in fact, I do not, I'm really turned off when people are like that. Mm. Like, here's it the way it is. And, uh, you have to, if you want to be successful in this industry, you have to be like, I'm like, no, no, no. It's like, (laughs) you know, it's just, there's so many different ways. So I could only tell my story and my experience and, and hopefully that resonates with, uh, someone. Mm. Um, yeah, it seems kind of funny the job I'm in, um, and, and me saying this, but yeah, I don't feel like I have all the answers, you yeah. know, <laughs> and that's kind of liberating. Yeah, no, I, I always really like hearing that <laughs> <laughs> in the amount of time that I always ask people for answers. I always right. really enjoy that. I, I don't uh, think really any of us really do. Right. <laughs> um, what's something that you've gotten to work on that you're really, really proud of over the years or even just recently? Well, I was here at the beginning when the school started and to see where it's at today is pretty amazing. Um, right now, just getting the Flaming Lips on tour, we're going to start back up next month we're we're talking in june it'll be july we'll start doing a bunch of shows again mm-hmm. so you know on that first show date seeing two semis two buses all these people all this stuff coming yeah. together that should feel good i'll let you know <laughs> if it doesn't yeah but looking forward I'm, I'm imagining that'll all feel pretty good because it'll be the culmination of months and months of preparation and work and stuff. Um, so that's that's always a good feeling. Mm. Um, there's a, there's a lot of Flaming Lips music that I've had small hand a small hand in that seeing it come out like this King's Mouth record. Mm-hmm. I have a few songs that I have co-writes on. So seeing how Wayne and Steven took those musical ideas and formed them and, you know, hearing it on vinyl, mm-hmm. it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I kind of want to mention the fact that you guys were no- nominated for a Tony Award on the... That was... Um, <laughs> you know, that was basically one afternoon in... It's been six years. It was the summer of 2013. And uh, the story at the time was SpongeBob 
is doing a musical. They've asked us to contribute a song. So at Pink Floor, Wayne's studio here in Oklahoma City, we recorded a song live with the band that I believe Stephen wrote the chord progression for. It was just the chord progression running through the, you know, the verse, the chorus, the middle, whatever. Uh, so we tracked it. And then Wayne did this funny thing where he said, everyone go try a vocal melody one at a time. So <laughs> you go out there and Stephen did it first and then a couple other people. And then I had my turn and then a couple people after me. And, um, so it was just on the fly trying a vocal melody. Yeah. And uh, they decided Derek's is the one we're going to go with. So then five years later, to be attending <laughs> the Tonys because it was nominated. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the nomination? Best? Uh, there was a few of them. I, I was kind of just looking it up, but like, I yeah. think just best musical was. Yeah, yeah. They were nominated for 12. It only ended up winning one, but. Just the, yeah, that was a that was a pretty magical day and <laughs> evening. But yeah, it's so funny because, and I know Wayne and Steven must feel this way about everything they've done, where you've, you as a person, you've done so much creating over your life. Yeah. And then sometimes it's just one little thing that <laughs> took an hour that you get all this recognition for. Yeah. Like, it feels like you're getting recognized for the whole thing. Sure. But when you really know the story <laughs> and you're like, it's just this one vocal melody. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Um, yeah. And I mean, that, that is kind of something that I, I've seen happen a lot with, with different artists is that there's like, you have a whole bunch of stuff that you put your heart and soul into and then like this one thing sticks out you're like oh, i just kind of crank this one out in like 10 minutes totally and, it's yeah. like, and everyone's like oh yeah that one that's the one that i like mm-hmm. like dang it it's like black <laughs> sabbath paranoid those songs it's like they they just the record was done or whatever you hear those stories all the time and then it becomes their most one of their most well-known songs and they thought it was you know just this you know, afterthought. The afterthought, yeah. <laughs> Not that any of that was an afterthought. It's just funny the things that rise to the top. Yeah. You know. Um, kind of more broader philosophical questions about music. Um, is there such a thing as bad music to you? Well, yes. Um <laughs> if we're talking about personal taste. Sure. If you want to go beyond that. I don't think so. I really don't. I mean, some of the things I love, I would imagine most everyone I know would think that's bad music, (laughs) but it really connects with me. And um, so, no, I know that's kind of a a cop out (laughs) answer or whatever, but no, I don't think there's a thing as bad music. What what is it that you? Because who's judging? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what yeah. is it that you listen to that is bad music that you really enjoy? Uh, like feedback drones, you know, <laughs> and uh, maybe super lo-fi, noisy things that wouldn't typically resemble 
what someone would consider a song. Sure. That they they could they connect with me and they bring up a feeling in me that I'm that you know excites me. But most people would hear it and go, that's bad music. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um is there such a thing as selling out or what is selling out? Well, you know, I just listened to Scott answer that last night, Scott Booker. Sure. And it kind of goes back to, for me, it goes back to what I was saying earlier about doing something that compromises your values. Yeah. Uh, Maybe if you're if you're pro choice and you're giving your music to a pro life campaign for a bunch of money. Yeah. If we're getting really serious about we're talking about life and death mm -hmm. and then but you can benefit the other side by making a bunch of money. I yeah. guess that's what I would consider selling out. Mm -hmm. That's just me. It's kind of go. It goes back to your question about bad music. It's it's all yeah. <laughs> it's it's all. It's gonna be. You have to look at that specific situation mm -hmm. and those people. Um, what I do notice about people like your age, the concept of selling out, they don't they don't really have much awareness of that. At mm -hmm. least the way. I did when I was your age. Yeah. Because in the 90s, that sellout phrase was used a lot. And um, and bands would get ridicule for doing something that their fans considered them to sell sure. out. I don't think that really happens so much anymore. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I think there's also like a... A perspective that it's so hard to do music nowadays. Yeah, and that, that like I didn't finish my thought, but Scott was talking about if the Flaming Lips being on Beverly Hills 90210 or whatever it was <laughs> helps other people hear the music because they're not getting played on MTV or whatever. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about 1995 here, <laughs> but. Uh, then no, it's not selling out because you're just trying to reach your audience, your yeah. potential audience. So yeah, I I don't even really think in those terms of like, is this a selling out? I might think, is this us being lame? <laughs> you know? Sure. Um, is this a bad idea? But selling out, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, do you separate art from the artist? I do. Um, yes, I have to. I, I like Morrissey and, you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, that's someone that is getting in all these, uh, getting all this flack for his affiliation with like a, a uh, right wing political group. Yeah, I, I do. Uh, for me, the music stands as it's on its own. Mm -hmm. um, if I felt like I had to like or agree with 
the artist's beliefs uh, that would really change the music I listen to. Mm-hmm. Music to me is is that piece of music. Yeah, doesn't matter to me who wrote it, who played on it, who produced it. Doesn't matter. The song yeah. is the the kind of the holy, you know, the sacred object. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and then kind of moving towards the spirituality thing. Um, what is the role of spirituality or religion in your life? Well, there's not a huge role. I mean, spirituality for me is, is more just my personal beliefs and ethics, uh, it doesn't honestly play a, if we're talking about like traditional Christianity or um, religious affiliation, no, it doesn't. I mean, the thing about working that job at the Catholic Church for 13 years, mm-hmm. you hear a lot of readings from the Old, yeah. the New Testament and the Gospels. And... For me, the the Bible is just a really amazing piece of literature. Hmm. It's not just that, but uh, hearing those readings so often, because with the Catholic Mass, you're not getting it's not a uh, an hour of songs and then a sermon. You're getting these prayers mm. that are recited at every Mass and these readings that are coming verbatim from Old New Testament and the Gospel. Uh, hearing those things curated in such a way that they pull a reading from the Old Testament, then here comes one from the New, and then finally a Gospel. And those are selected in a way that there's a common thread. There's meant to be a common thread and and then they're also you know they're choosing it's it's basically like a bible mixtape yeah. you know so those would really resonate with me sometimes uh are just a turn of phrase mm-hmm. uh i I wrote, I wrote down things constantly mm-hmm. during mass cuz i'd hear something i'd be like that's an amazing way to put that sure the question was, how does spirituality... Yeah, what is the role of spirituality in your life? I think all the Catholic Mass I went to as a young person <laughs> just kind of laid a bed for the way I uh, approach life now. Mm-hmm. So it's subconscious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's there. Yeah. Um what is your definition of God? Uh, it's very abstract, I guess. Um, I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's back to what I was saying. None of us have the answers. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, there's a higher being. I mean, obviously. For me, <laughs> there is a higher being that put all this stuff together in a way that makes sense. That make, uh, 
our bodies work in a certain way, our brains work. That's pretty amazing. I don't think it's just an accident. God, for me, is this constantly present authority figure in my head just keeping tabs on me. <laughs> and when I get too far off from the path I'm, I want to be on, I'm, I'm meant to be on, I feel like I'm supposed to be on, then maybe that is God telling me, uh, work on that, work on changing that. Um, I live out in the country and uh, I've, the lips are not touring right now. So this is the first kind of extended amount of time I can think of in maybe 10 years that I've just been home, mm. not constantly thinking about, or not constantly having my routine interrupted by flying somewhere. And so I've been very in tune to the changing of the season. Yeah. Which is something I I just hadn't thought of, but seeing the um the trees bloom at a certain time and then the the stages of that, you know, for a few days they're this one color and then it's another color. Um and then all of a sudden here come you know, the ants and then here come the worms and the bushes and it's just it's been pretty incredible to um, watch that every day and not be interrupted because I think at my age, at my particular point of awareness, I'm more aware of what's around me than I've ever been. So if anything, all seeing all this and, and taking all this in uh, has reinforced the idea that Yes, there is a God. Don't know what it is, mm -hmm. but um, but yeah, someone's something is overseeing this. Someone's supervising. <laughs> um, that's the kind of answer I love hearing. Cool. Uh, <laughs> um, is free will an illusion? I should find a way of phrasing that question that isn't a yes or no answer, but... <laughs> Is free will an illusion? Um, man, you go deep here on Big Depth. I don't think so. I hope not. <laughs> I think if it's, if it's not, we really, we shouldn't be told because that would really bum us out. Uh, I think if we don't have control over our decisions, at least let us think we do. Sure. Yeah. Because <laughs> I think that's, for me personally, that's a real, that's a deal breaker. If I can't make some decisions here and there, <laughs> then I don't want to be a part of this. So I would say, I hope not. Sure. <laughs> um. How do you determine what good behavior is? Uh, gosh. I can only speak for myself. Mm. 
good behavior. And my kids, I guess. Sure. Because that's, <laughs> that's where I'm applying that logic the most lately. Yeah. Don't physically or emotionally harm other people and uh, take care of yourself. I would have to say, if we're going to break it down, that's yeah, yeah good behavior. Pretty much. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, how do we reduce the division that has permeated our culture at least a bit more lately, uh, but has kind of always been? Um, I think, I think people should only be, uh, <laughs> I think people should be, not be able to post something online that they can't say to someone's face. <laughs> uh, there's so many relatives of mine that after seeing the things they post on Facebook about politics and religion and abortion and stuff, that it's really hard to look them in the, the eye the same way at Easter lunch, you know, because mm -hmm. you just can't believe that they really feel that way. Now, I would never know they felt this way if it wasn't for Facebook memes <laughs> and stuff like that. So that kind of bums me out that basically social media has given us this platform to just be shit talkers. Can we cuss on bit Yeah, yeah. And, um, and because these aren't the conversations and the things that come up in just real life for the most part. Mm -hmm. uh, so... To, to bridge the divide, I just wish we'd get off the internet a little bit at, and at least um, just talk more face-to-face -face and less. Uh, someone, this, this culture of uh, causing, uh, of whistleblowing, Online, for example, someone I know uh, posted something on Twitter about a music festival here locally and how they were getting bad treatment about from this music, this festival. And I interpreted the tweet as I'm going to start some shit. Watch out, <laughs> because for some reason that's this thing we have that, and I've been guilty of it too, of watch out because I'm about to drop a bomb <laughs> and people are going to get all excited and been out of shape over this. And then I see the reply from the guy at the, f the festival and he's like, keep in mind, this guy is a volunteer. He's worked really hard towards this effort. Uh, he's passionate about what he's doing. He wants it to be good. At least that's what I'm projecting. 
and he's apologizing. And this is all public, you know. <laughs> he said, you misunderstood what happened. Why did that person that wrote the tweet not just not go to them originally in private and work out this thing? Why does sure. it have to be in the public eye and all these people get uh, their emotions you know, riled up. Uh, it's just too much, too much is becoming, you know, our emotions on exhibit and, and, uh, and me personally, as like in my personal growth, that's been something I've tried to work on a lot in the last year or two, not just vomiting my <laughs> whims and you sure. know, impulses online, uh, because that doesn't, it doesn't really exist in the same way online as it does in real life. Or, you know, work on it in real life. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very long winded answer. Sure. No, I like that. Uh, just talk to each other. Come on. <laughs> yeah. And just you know if you're this person that is constantly talking shit being judgmental all that and you're only doing it online and then when people get in a room with you and you're quiet and you're meek and which i'm quiet and meek <laughs> um, but you can't say it in real life to someone looking them in the eye mm. you know yeah. you're not really <laughs> preaching what you you believe it's yeah. just i don't uh i've tried to to take out the most of the online presence in that way for me and it's been really great yeah yeah <laughs> you know all this is just one big experiment you know on facebook things will pop up like, remember when you posted this 10 years ago? I'm like, oh, my God. I used to think of <laughs> Facebook 10 that. 10 years, yeah. Yeah. I, but it's also like, wow. So, you know, you get these platforms and you just try them out. And you're like, oh, I'll post this kind of stuff. I'll do this. And um, unfortunately, we don't have a lot of – we're just figuring out as we go. Mm -hmm. And it's probably there forever in some capacity. So – uh you just have to, I feel like we have to be a little bit more cognizant of, of, of actually living a life and not just <laughs> having this thing that lives online that you think is your life. Sure. Um, what makes you optimistic about our future? It's kind of a corny answer, but probably my kids... Um, I don't see a reason why that needs to be a corny answer. That's just true. Yeah. <laughs> um, just seeing how innocent and like excited they are about the simple things in life. Um, they're ages six, four, and two. So it's a, a range of personality, you know, mm -hmm. uh, 
traits and um, sometimes they'll say something about their observations that uh, give me a, you know, joy and optimism, like, hey, maybe they'll, they'll help figure this out down the road, you know, all these problems that we have as a country and a planet and all that, that if, um, if we can be good role models and good teachers that hopefully they'll undo some of the stupid things we've done. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, what makes you happy? Uh, reading, listening to music, being with uh, my family, chocolate, <laughs> um, went on a nature trail the other day with my family. That made me really happy. Uh, very simple things. Yeah. Yeah. At my point in life, I've figured out all the things that make me really happy and the things mm -hmm. that don't. So I'm good at filtering out the bad stuff. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, why music? Um, cause it's the best. I think. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing else that as far as, um, mediums of expression, there's nothing that compares to music for me. Uh, it's the thing that has been my language since, and I don't remember it, but my parents claim since I was about two years old, music was the thing that, you know, soothed me and kept me interested and none of that's changed. There's been t times where I have been frustrated with uh, life and, and have, thought music was the enemy, uh, but it's not. Um, there's so much to it that uh, it's just this constant companion through my life, you know. For um, lately, my kids have been interested, they, you know, they gravitate towards just a few th songs that I are in my, you know, iTunes library. Mm -hmm. And um, one of them is a song. It was the first song I ever learned how to play on guitar when I was 10. Hmm. And all my kids love it, all, th <laughs> all three of them. But I was listening to it. They, they said, play it. I play it in the car and all of them are singing in the back. And I'm like, that's pretty amazing yeah. that the song I learned how to play on guitar in 1992, that I you know busted out my mom's speakers in her Pontiac Grand Dam in 1992. <laughs> Uh, listening to is the song that I'm playing for them now that they're yeah. singing to. Um, can't think of any other thing besides maybe a book that has, uh, has lasted, mm -hmm. you know? So that's a pretty amazing feeling. What's that song? <laughs> it is by the, uh, the band Def Leppard. It's called Photograph. <laughs> <laughs> nice. It's one of the greatest songs ever. <laughs> um, two more questions. What advice do you have for people, if any, in general? Uh, listen to your gut and stick to it. 
if you feel like that's be open to hearing other viewpoints, but um, don't compromise what you feel like is what you need to do or what, what your beliefs are. Uh, drink water. <laughs> uh, if you feel bad or in doubt or don't know what else to do, drink water. Sure. <laughs> um, and um, what else? Um, that's it. Cool. <laughs> Last question, potentially the hardest question. Okay. Cake or pie? Pie. Sweet. There's a lot more options. Yeah. Yeah. You can have a lot more fun with pie. Yeah. Addendum to the last question. Yeah. Is cheesecake pie? <sighs> Don't think so. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Derek, thank you for doing this with me. <laughs> <laughs> um, plug your stuff. What do you got going on? What's that? Plug your stuff. What do you got going on? <laughs> Plug my stuff. Flaming Lips are going on tour. <laughs> uh, we are doing shows with the Claypool Lynn and Delirium. We are going to Europe. We are going to Australia. Australian tickets go on sale today. Oh, cool. <laughs> if you're in, into that. All right. Uh, well, oh, well, this episode will be posted next Thursday. So, so. tickets are on sale now. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm bad at plugging my stuff. That's fine. It's not in my nature. <laughs> uh, this is the one chance that you get to like to tell the masses promote yourself as much as possible without any shame. <laughs> nah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, thank you for doing this with with me. I'm Santiago Ramones. I'm Derek Brown. Thank you. You can find everything that I do on my website, SantiagoRamones.com. I make music. You can download or pay for Songs with Words demo. Uh, you can also find this podcast on pretty much every place that you can find podcasts. If there's a place that you want to listen to the podcast and it's not on there, tell me. Uh, because I, I think I've gotten it everywhere that I can. And leave comments and reviews and let me know... Uh, how much you love Derek and how much you think I say um, which is a lot. And I was in my podcast with my three things. They shape my life philosophy. Those three things are love never fails. It's going to be okay. I might be wrong. <laughs>